Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1. The words of Moses, anointed by God, of course. Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. As the Lord spake unto me, and we compassed Mount Seir many days. And the Lord spake unto me, saying, You have compassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. From this text and the story, I'd like to speak to you on the subject next. You may be seated. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, Moses begins to recount the recent history of Israel. They turned and took their journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. When you look back in chapter 1, this is the sermons of Moses, his closing comments, the book of Deuteronomy to the nation of Israel. You'll realize that many days was a long period of time And the reason they were many days in the wilderness is because of their unbelief in the promises of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, the Lord spoke to them and said, you've dwelt long enough in this mount. This was a long time before Deuteronomy chapter 2. Between verse 1 and verse 2, there's 40 years. So in chapter 1, after they had crossed the Red Sea, and gone into the wilderness, the Lord said, it's time for you to go into the promised land. Turn, take your journey, go to the mount of the Amorites, and the Lord gave them this promise. He said, I've set before you the land, go in and possess the land. Now, when you read the history of this and write in the Bible itself, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2 tells us, that normally it only takes 11 days, 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, which was kind of the gateway city into the promised land. But then verse 3 in Deuteronomy 1 says, but 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt, then Moses begins to speak to them. They come out of Egypt It should be an 11-day journey. They should inherit the promises of God. But something happens to stall God's plan. Something happens that turns an 11-day trip or journey into a 40-year sojourn. And that's what I want to talk about today is how Israel ended up in this situation and how did they get out. Well, it happened like this. The people in the congregation told Moses, you know what we need to do? We need to form a committee. And that's the first sign of the death of the promises of God. Not always, but let's form a committee. We need 12 men to go over into that promised land, spy it out. Let's figure out what it's like and come back and give us a report. So the committee went to the promised land and they saw that the land flow with milk and honey There was lots to eat. Everything was good there. But then there were 10 of the 12 men who brought back an evil report. Evil equals unbelief in God's terminology. They came back and said, yes, it's true what those two spies, Joshua 
and Caleb told you. The land does flow with milk and honey. Here's the clusters of grapes to prove the fruit of that land. But there's giants in that land. The land consumes, it swallows up its inhabitants. We are not able to go up and possess the land. And the people listen to the popular opinion of the ten men on the spying committee and they, their hearts melted. They did not believe the promises of God and they told Moses, their chosen leader, we can't do this. Let's go back to Egypt, a place God just delivered us from. And God was angry with the people because of their unbelief. And he said, because of your unbelief, you will not go in. The entire generation of people 20 years and older will die off. Children will be born. They'll inherit the promised land. And we're going to wander until God says it's time for us to go in. That's the short version of the story. There were times Israel wanted to go back. Even in presumption, they tried to go in to the land, but they were driven out and defeated because of their unbelief. So when you read Moses' words in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1, you realize that he's saying a whole lot. We turn. We turn away from an 11-day journey into the promised land. We turn back from that promise, and we went into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, and we compassed, we circled this mountainous area, this hill country. We circled it for many days. Many days is an understatement. Many days means a grand total of 40 years. In the Bible, you'll see two references to the time frame of wandering. You'll see 38 and a half years and 40 years. Both are true the combined amount of wandering from Egypt to Canaan land, 40 years of wandering. 40 years, the number of testing in God's word. Everybody 20 years and older is beginning to die. The Lord said in Psalm 95 and 10, for 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said it is a people who go astray in their hearts, they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Forty years of wandering and forty years of funerals. Wilmington's Guide to the Bible reminds us there, there were 600,000 men that came out of Egypt. Just add 600,000 women to that list. If there were 1.2 million people 20 years of age and older in Israel at that time, for the 38 and a half remaining years or 14,508 days, if they had 12 hours of daylight every day, there would have been an average of 85 funerals a day averaging for every day for 38 and a half years. If it would have been average, and we know it wasn't an average, but there would have been 37 funerals every hour 
for 38 and a half years. Now, I don't know how many people died every hour or every day, but can you imagine the foreboding reminder of the cost of unbelief that when you do not embrace the promises of God, when you choose to not believe what he has promised you, there is the death of something precious in your life. And every hour, every day, 38 and a half more years, someone died, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, grandparents, sons and daughters, died for 40 years of this total wandering of the wilderness. They paid a high price of unbelief. But while they were burying their past, they were birthing their future. Every day someone died, but every day a baby was born. Under the age of 20, they would grow up, and they would be the people that would inherit the promises of God. And spiritually, what needs to happen in our lives is that we need to let there be the decent burial of unbelief and the past. And we need to let there be the birth of faith and the future that God has promised for our church. Amen. I want to know today, are you in? Are you ready for what God has? next for your life and next for our church are you ready to go in to the promises that God has given his church why don't you applaud him if you're ready to go in in Deuteronomy 2 Moses skims over those 40 years in just two verses, we turned, took our journey into the wilderness. He sums up 40 years in a few words. And then in Deuteronomy 2 and 2, the Lord spake to me at the end of that long era of death and birth and promises and prices paid. And the Lord said, you have compassed. You have circled this mountain long enough. It is time for you to quit going in circles and get a direction from God and go into what he has promised you. When you get complacent, when you go into a maintenance mode, it is true of a person, a church, or an organization that you have no choice but to loop back around, to go over the same trails over and over again and again, year after year. But the Lord said, enough of circling, enough of wandering. It is time for you to believe me and turn to the direction that takes you to the promises of God. The faithless generation has died off. A generation of faith has been born. In those years, it was age appropriate. But today, it is not about your years of life, but it is about your faith in God. It is about the freshness of your faith. Do you have a young faith, a new faith, and a live faith? Or you do, have, do you have a crusty, old, complacent, dead faith in God? When's the last time he answered a prayer for you or worked a miracle in your life? When's the last time you saw his hand at work in your life? I pray that God would let something be birthed in this church for the future God has for us. It only took God one night, one night to get Israel out of Egypt. 
But it took 40 years for God to get Egypt out of Israel. We remember the cucumbers, the leeks, the garlics. Oh, we forgot being beaten as slaves. We remember how good it used to be rewriting the past like many people do. When you look back, you go back. It happens every time. I'm not speaking of memorials or honoring the past or thanking God for what he's done before. I'm talking about that nostalgia, that painful feeling that wants to take you back to an imaginary past where it was better than it was today. But I'm here to declare to you that God said your days of wandering is over. The days of living in yesterday are finished. I am ready to take you into a new era in your life. It is time to embrace and inherit the promises of God. We want to see what God has for us next. Next. Time to make a turn. I will take you to the promises of God. To Israel, it was north, head north toward Canaan land. This was an epic moment in the history of Israel. The end of wandering. The end of waiting. Time to move into the land that God had promised them. And here we are today in 2018. Still learning the lessons in our lives that God tried to teach Israel in 40 days of wandering. The Apostle Paul wrote to us in Romans and 1 Corinthians that those things happened to them for our examples, that we would not make the same mistakes that they made over and over again, but we would learn from their mistakes and we would walk in faith and not be a faithless generation. That's what we must do in 2018. You see, those, of that, those people in our world who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So we need to remember what faithlessness does, what stagnation does, what wandering around with the same old prayers and the same old memory verses and the same old place in God does to a person. You can only wander so long until your faith dies. But when you get a direction that comes from God, when you know that God has prepared a future for his people, then you begin to take steps to go into the promises of God. They were our examples. Those things were written for our learning. We must be careful that we don't fall into the temptation of living in the past and longing for the past and forget where God is leaning us, leading us, that desire to return home to the good old days that were never as good as they seem to be now for folks that are growing older in their faith and sometimes in their years. Churches and organizations can suffer from a, a sense of nostalgia, wanting to go back to what those good things were. And I'm not saying that there was nothing good. And while God has done a lot of great in our past, it was intended to be a foundation for us, to stand on the shoulders of those who went before us so we could see a little farther and go a little farther. No good leader has ever wanted us to just live on their legacy, but to learn from their legacy and go into the promises that God has for us. We cannot be content to say that we had a good past or we're living in a good present. For God says, I have something next for you. I have something better for you. I've got a future for you. And it is time for you to move in the direction of your future. 
let me remind you of what the Bible says about the kingdom of God. Isaiah 9 and 6, that prophetic prophecy of a coming Messiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then, verse 7, Isaiah said, of the increase of his government, and of peace there shall be no end. In other words, he said, when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth, his kingdom will increase. His government will increase. And of the increase, there shall be no end. You may say, when should a church quit growing? It should only quit growing when the trumpet sounds and Jesus calls us to go home to him in heaven forever. When should a Christian quit growing when you breathe your last breath or Jesus calls you, come up higher, amen. But there should never be a time in our lives when God's government is not growing in our life, when God's peace is not growing in our life. It is to increase in us to make us more and more like him. Daniel saw an image. Nebuchadnezzar had an image in his mind that Daniel saw a prophecy and he saw this little stone that was cut out of a mountain without hands. And this little stone smote that image representing Gentile world powers. It smote that image in its feet. And then it gradually destroyed the entire image that represents human governments away from God. And then Daniel said he saw that stone. That it grew. It filled the entire earth. It became a great mountain. It is a picture of the kingdom of God. That God is always progressively moving in the future. And taking more territory in our lives and in the earth. His church is never to be in decline. It is never to be paralyzed by growth. We should always be stretching and reaching for the future. And Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a little teeny mustard seed that you plant in the ground. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it grows up, it is the tallest of all the herbs. It grows into a tree so big that birds can make their nest in the branches. It was a picture of the kingdom of God that would have started insignificantly in a barn in Bethlehem and then in an upper room in Jerusalem, but it would spread to every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue. It would grow and it would fill the whole earth Jesus said the kingdom of God is like yeast that is placed in a lump of dough if you just give it a little time it will change it completely and that is what the kingdom of God is doing in our lives and in this world it is advancing it is moving forward it is changing irreversibly what is in this world that is what the kingdom of God is like it is a government that is increasing. It is a stone that is growing. It is a mustard seed that is growing into a large tree. It is yeast that is changing the, the nature of the dough once and for all. That is the legacy of the people of God. I'm not connected to something that is dwindling and dying and going backwards, but I'm connected to the eternal purpose of God that is in the earth today that is changing me, changing us, and taking us into God's preferable future. 
talking about what God has next. So let me break it down a little bit. <coughs> Locally. Let's just talk about Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. On September 16th, 1961, 18 men, women, and children gathered in a basement, the basement of Merle and Louise Harper, and they prayed about the founding of a new church. They were driven by fervent prayer. They saw the need for a new church to be born. The days that followed, they sought for God's direction and guidance and favor. On September 24th, 1961, they met again, but this time the number grew from 18 to 27, and they prayed again in the basement of the Harper's home. The founding members of our church and Sister Harper and her daughter Susan were here today. Thank God that Sister Harper is still alive and among us. Within a few weeks, within a few weeks of the birth of that local congregation, they purchased property, or a church rather, an existing church at 689 Chestnut Street in downtown Atlanta. So the church in the basement only lasted for a few weeks. When they got to Chestnut Street, they had church. But then in 1973, the church, then called Northwest Pentecostal Church, purchased land at 1281 Cooper Lake Road in Smyrna. The building on Chestnut Street was sold and the church rented a Methodist church on Atlanta Road during the construction phase of that new building. This church, then called Northwest Pentecostal Church, moved to the new location on Cooper Lake Road in 1975. And the church had tremendous revival on Cooper Lake Road. And it only, that building, that location, could only accommodate them for a few years. They had been on Chestnut Street for 14 years. But when revival broke out on, uh, on uh, Cooper Lake Road, they could only stay there for a short period of time. So, in 19, a little bit later, 1984, when the church had outgrown the sanctuary on Cooper Lake Road, the church bought 27 acres right here on Skyview Drive. We're sitting on the land that the church bought in 1984. We sold seven of those acres that were really not integral to any future plan uh, on the other side of a floodplain. We now own 20 acres here on Skyview Drive. For the next two years, the members of that church worked tirelessly to build this new facility. Everything that we call Building A, everything under connective roofs was built. And on Easter Sunday, March 30th, 1986, that church moved into this building. The name would later be changed to Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. And here we are from 1986 until now. Now, the church was 14 years on Chestnut Street. It was 11 years on Cooper Lake Road. But this church uh, was only 25 years old as a congregation from 1961 until it moved to this location on Sky, Skyview Drive. 25 years had taken that many moves and that much advancement. But here this church was in this sanctuary that was a little large for the congregation at that time at first. In 1995, the Lord led my family here and I became the pastor of our church. In 1996, we built a 100-plus space parking lot, the lower parking lot. 
in 2002, we completed our Family Life Center that nearly doubled our ministry space with 20,000 additional feet of space in our church. In 2005, our church was growing to the point that we realized we needed to add a second service. We'd always had church for several years, even before I became pastor, 3 o'clock p.m. Sunday school, 4.15 p.m. afternoon service, and that service grew and was relatively full. An average attendance in 2005 of 445. So in 2005, we began a second service that we started in the morning. We had Sunday school at 9 and church at 10.15. And over the next five years, from 2005 to 2010, our church grew by an average attendance of 300 net attendance. We always subtract the duplicates. From 5 to 10, we grew by 300 people, and then we were full again in the morning. The afternoon service began to have attrition as people migrated to the morning service. So in 2011, we eliminated that afternoon service, and we went back into one service. Our average attendance went from 745 to 711 to 699 in those next couple of years as we had church in one building at one time because you can only grow so much when your seating is limited, when your foyer is tiny, when your restrooms are very small, and when your parking lot is full. And that's what happened to us. Way back then, we were in an overcrowded situation. So... In August of 2014, we added a second morning service. We had church this morning at 9 o'clock, and we do every week. And the second service that you're attending, that begins at 11.30 a.m. We did this for one reason. is because the Bible teaches plainly that the increase of his government and peace should never end. That a church should never be complacent or content to say, well, we're full. This ought to be everybody that we can squeeze in. Because last time I checked, there's more people out there than there are in here. There are more people lost than there are saved in the city of Atlanta. So we've got to do something to turn northward, to move in the direction of the promises of God. It is not for convenience. It is because of the conviction that God wants people saved and he wants his church to grow as they are brought into the kingdom of God. That church grew daily such as should be saved. So, Back in then, August 17, 2014, we instituted an entirely new Sunday format with Sunday school for our children happening simultaneous to services except on this fourth week when our children and children's workers get a break to come in and experience the normal church service. And here we are. We're keeping the schedule until now. Back then, October of 2014, we remodeled the sanctuary from ceiling to floor and everything in between. And we've remodeled everything between here and the back door of the Family Life Center since then or repainted or air or whatever we can do. We thank God for daughter churches, our Spanish daughter church. Thank you, brother and sister Reyes and your family and Iglesia Pentecostal, Atlanta West for reaching into the Spanish-speaking community. We praise God for the Rock Church of Paulding County 
and for the sanctuary of West Georgia in Bremen where I preached last week. We thank God for preaching points like hope and the nursing home and prison and old fourth ward. I thank God you can applaud them because we have people that every week minister to the homeless and in prisons and in nursing homes and in old fourth ward where we're planting a new church. I thank God that our message has kept us grounded, but our mission has kept us moving and innovative because the church cannot ever sit down and say we are finished until Jesus comes back again. While we are thankful, we are not contented and satisfied with what God has done because we believe that God is moving and when he is moving, we want to move with him and in step with him and in sync with his purposes. A lot has changed in the last 57 years. Locations have changed. Buildings have changed. Leadership has changed. Members have come and gone, been born and died. But from the beginning of the book of Acts church and from the beginning of this local church in 1961, there has always been a future focus. Our founding members like Sister Harper are not pulling us back to the past. They are pushing us ahead toward the future. Sister Harper told me this morning, she said, I want to see that new building. At least I want to be alive when you break ground. Here is the oldest member of our congregation that is not looking back and wanting to go back, but is saying this church has always said that we're about tomorrow. We're about the future. We're about next. So let's get up and let's go. You have compassed this mountain long enough. You've been here 32 years on this property. Isn't it time to say, let's go to where God has his future for his church? In case you're wondering, I do not believe we just wandered in the wilderness for the past 23 years or the last 32 years because God has helped us always try to ask what's next. But we have come to the conclusion after studies, after consultants, after listening, after praying and fasting that the future of our church is no longer able to be held at this location we believe that with all the things that we've studied and looked at, that there's nothing that we could do on this location that would accommodate the long-term future for the next generation and for what God has next. I'm not here today to tell you we're going here or we're going there. We are in the exploration stage of what could happen if we sold this building or where could we go. And there's a lot of steps along the way and we will keep you informed. But I felt in my spirit that it was time to do what happens first, always. Before something happens in practice, it has to happen in faith. It has to happen in spirit. So I'm firing the first shot today in the Holy Ghost to say that I feel the stirring of the Lord. I hear the voice of God in my spirit and in this church saying, you have compassed this mountain long enough. Get up and get going to what I have promised for you next. 
See, it's important for us to understand that buildings are not shrines. They are tools that serve our mission. Locations are not sacred. They are only whatever is best for the corporate body. This church only stayed in the basement for a few weeks. It only stayed on Chestnut Street for 14 years. This church outgrew Cooper Lake Road in 11 years. This Skyview Drive campus was only nine years old when I became pastor, which kind of surprised me when I saw that. And for the past 32 years, we've done our best to make sure that we never got locked in so that we cannot grow into God's future. We're close to being debt-free on our Family Life Center. We're positioning ourselves financially for the future, but I'm hungry in my spirit. I feel the word of the Lord coming to me as it came to Moses saying, it is time for you to get up and go into the future that I have promised you. Hallelujah. You may remember that Israel was in bondage in Egypt for 40 years. But later they were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And they had a picture in their mind of the way God did it way back then. You know, the seven plagues and you've got the ten plagues rather and you've got to get out of Egypt and you've got to cross the Red Sea. And they had a paradigm in their mind for the way God had worked in the past. So in Isaiah 43 verse 19, the Lord broke in on them and he said things to them. He said, remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. That doesn't mean forget what God has done in the past. But you've got to get it out of your head that God's always going to do it the same way every time. He said, I want you to forget the method that I used when I delivered you from Egypt. He said, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? This is the question that I must ask myself. When God does what is new, Will my eyes be open or will they be closed? Will my ear be attentive or will it be shut up because of unbelief? Will my hand be open to facilitate the promises of God or will I have a clenched fist? What will be my posture when God says that a new thing is springing forth even now? Shall you not know it? And then the Lord said to them, something that I have said over and over that I feel in my spirit that God will always do. He said, I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He said, you see, between Babylon and Israel, there's a trackless wilderness. There's no interstates. There's no paved roads. There's no road signs. But I don't need any of that, God said. I'm going to give you a way. I'm going to give you direction so you will know how to get from here to the promised future that I have given you. So I want to assure you that God who brought us here will not leave us here, but God will give us direction to know the way that we should go to get from here to the future promises that he has given us. I will make a way in the wilderness. And then he said, I will make rivers in the desert. I will give you provision. Because you can't go from here to there on existing resources. You can't get from here to there based on what you have and know right now. 
But if I give you direction, I will also give you provision and I will give you everything you need to get from here to the promises that I am giving in your life. And I stand on God's word today confidently knowing that he knows everything we don't know. And he will reveal in his time when we're ready. But the voice of the Spirit is saying that you need to pack up your tent, pull up the stakes of nostalgia. You need to get ready to move in your spirit. You need to say enough of this wandering, enough circling around in the same old places over and over again. I'm ready for some new scenery in my spiritual walk with God. I'm ready for what God has next for me. Would you bow your heads right now? Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray, oh God, that you will let unbelief die and faith be born. For we know, Lord, that in your word, the promises of God are not inherited by people who are young. They are inherited by people who believe. So I pray right now, God, that you will let hope be birthed in us today and a sense of anticipation and excitement about the future that you have for us. For Lord, your church has never been about buildings. It's always been about reaching lost people. So I pray in Jesus' name that you would let us get back, oh God, to our Father's business, that we would seek and save the lost, that we would not lean on the organization, oh God, but we would take personal responsibility for not just going to church, but for being the church everywhere, all the time. I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us embrace the mission that you gave us to lead people into a saving relationship with you and then to develop them, oh God, into fully devoted disciples. I pray, Jesus, that as you would have given me this message, that you would let it connect with the spirit of every person here. For what you are saying to me, O God, is not a solo performance, but it is a chorus, O God, of the Spirit of God speaking in every faithful heart, everyone who will believe. And in Jesus' name I pray. Would you open your heart right now and begin to worship God? Would you let something just be birthed in your spirit right now? For there is a touch of the Holy Ghost that is falling on this congregation right now. For everyone who will believe and receive the word of God right now. That's it. Lift up your voices to the Lord. Hallelujah. That's it. Keep praising him right now wherever you are. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you please look this way just a moment before we respond in prayer? Let me ask you, are you preoccupied with your past? Are you paralyzed in the present circumstances? Stuck has got you stuck. Or 
Are you preparing to possess the promises of God? I don't know if you can hear it today. I know you've heard my sermon. But I don't know if you can hear the voice of God in my sermon. Would you receive what the Lord has spoken to us by the gifts of the Spirit of tongues and interpretation? That's it. Would you stand right now? And if you don't have to leave by an emergency, please stay with us. Lift your hands to the Lord right now. And let's begin to respond to what Jesus Christ has said through His Word, by His Spirit, by the gifts of the Spirit right now. That's it. I'm looking for somebody to be faithful, faith-filled, not faithless. This is a watershed moment for someone who is choosing to go forward or to go backward. Would you open your heart? Would you believe the promises of God? Would you embrace what Jesus Christ is saying to us? These altars are open for you to come and bring your need. But why don't you bring your response to say, here I am, Lord. I believe, I believe. Regardless of where you're standing, there needs to be an obedient response in your heart today to the Word of God that is giving direction to you personally, to this church corporately. So please respond in your spirit with prayer of surrender to the Lord. Amen.